0: chapter 2 of myths and legends of all nations this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org myths and legends of all nations by logan marshall chapter 2 the labors of hercules Before the birth of Hercules, Jupiter had explained in the Council of the Gods that the first descendant of Perseus should be the ruler of all the others of his race. This honour was intended for the son of Perseus and Alcmene, but Juno was jealous, and brought it about that Eurystheus, who was also a descendant of Perseus, should be born before Theseus. So Eurystheus became king in Mycene, and the later born Hercules remained inferior to him. Now Eurystheus watched with anxiety the rising fame of his young relative, and called his subjects to him, demanding that they carry through certain great tasks or labours. When Hercules did not immediately obey, Jupiter himself sent word to him that he should fulfil his service to the king of Greece. Nevertheless, the hero son of a god could not make up his mind easily to render service to a mere mortal, so he travelled to Delphi and answered the oracle as to what he should do. This was the answer. The overlord of Eurystheus will be qualified on condition that Hercules perform ten labours that Eurystheus shall assign him. When this is done, Hercules shall be numbered among the immortal gods. Hereupon Hercules fell into deep trouble. To serve a man of less importance than himself hurt his dignity and self-esteem, but Jupiter would not listen to his complaints. The first labour. The first labour that Eurystheus assigned to Hercules was to bring him the skin of the Nemean lion. This monster dwelt on the mountain of Peloponnesus, in the forest between Cleona and Nemea, and could be wounded by no weapons made of man. Some said he was the son of the giant Typhon and the snake Echidna. Others said that he had dropped down from the moon to the earth. Hercules set out on his journey and came to Cleona, where a poor labourer Malarcus received him hospitably. He met the latter just as he was about to offer a sacrifice to Jupiter. "'Good man,' said Hercules, "'let the animal live thirty days longer, then. "'If I return, offer it to Jupiter, my deliverer. "'And if I do not return, offer it as funeral sacrifice to me, "'the hero who has attained immortality.' So Hercules continued on his way his quiver of arrows over his shoulder his bow in one hand and in the other a club made from the trunk of a wild olive tree which had passed on mount helicon and pulled up by the roots when he at last entered the Nemean wood he looked carefully in every direction in order that he might catch sight of the monster lion before the lion should see him it was midday and nowhere could he discover any trace of the lion or any path that seemed to lead to his lair he met no man in the field or in the forest fear held them all shut up in their distant dwellings the whole afternoon he wandered through the thick undergrowth determined to test his strength just as soon as he could encounter the lion at last towards evening the monster came through the forest returning from his trap in a deep fissure of the earth he was saturated with blood head mane and breast were reeking and his great tongue was licking his jaw the hero who saw him coming long before he was near took refuge in a thicket and waited until the lion approached then with his harrow he shot him in the side but the shot did not pierce his flesh instead it flew back as if it had struck stone and fell on to the mossy earth then the animal raised his bloody head "'looked around in every direction, and in a fierce anger showed his ugly teeth. "'Raising his head, he exposed his heart, and immediately Hercules let fly another arrow, "'hoping to pierce him through the lungs. "'Again the arrow did not enter the flesh, but fell off at the feet of the monster. "'Hercules took a third arrow, while the lion, casting his eyes to the side, watched him. "'His whole neck swelled with anger. He roared, and his back was bent like a bow.' He sprang toward his enemy, but Hercules threw the arrow and cast off the lion's skin in which he was clothed with the left hand, while with the right he swung his club over the head of the beast and gave him such a blow on the neck that, already to spring as the lion was, he fell back and came to a stand on trembling legs with a shaking head. Before he could take another breath, Hercules was upon him throwing down his bow and quiver that he might be entirely unencumbered he approached the animal from behind threw his arms around his neck and strangled him then for a long time he sought in vain to strip the fallen animal of his hide it yielded to no weapon or no stone at last the idea occurred to him of tearing it with the animal's own claws and this method immediately succeeded later he prepared for himself a coat of mail out of the lion's skin and from the neck a new helmet but for the present he was content to don his own costume and weapons and with the lion's skin over his arm took his way back to tyrinth the second labour the second labour consisted in destroying a hydra this monster dwelt in the swamp of lerna but came occasionally over the country destroying herds and laying waste to the fields the hydra was an enormous creature a serpent with nine heads of which eight were mortal and one was immortal Hercules set out with high courage for this fight. He mounted his chariot, and his beloved nephew Iolous, the son of his stepbrother Iphicles, who for a long time had been his inseparable companion, sat by his side, guiding the horses. And so they sped towards Lerna. At last the hydra was visible on a hill by the springs of Aemimone, where its lair was found. Here Iolous left the horses' stand. Hercules leaped from the chariot and sought with burning arrows to drive the many-headed serpent from its hiding place. It came forth hissing, its nine heads raised and swaying like the branches of a tree in a swarm. Undismayed, Hercules approached it, seized it, and held it fast. But the snake wrapped itself around one of his feet, then he began with his sword to cut off its heads. But this looked like an endless task, for no sooner had he cut off one head than two grew in its place. At the same time, an enormous crab came to the help of the hydra, and began biting the hero's foot. Killing this with his club, he called to Ioloas for help. The latter had lighted a torch, set fire to a portion of the nearby wood, and with brands therefrom touched the serpent's newly growing heads, and prevented them from living. In this way the hero was at last master of the situation, and was able to cut off even the head of the hydra that could not be killed. This he buried deep in the ground, and rolled a heavy stone over the place. The body of the Hydra he cut into half, dipping his arrows in the blood, which was poisonous. From that time the wounds made by the arrows of Hercules were fatal. THE THIRD LABOUR The third demand of Eurystheus was that Hercules bring to him alive the hind, Serenitis. This was a noble animal, with horns of gold and feet of iron. She lived on a hill in Arcadia, and was one of the five hinds which the goddess Diana had caught on her first hunt. This one, of all the five, was permitted to run loose again in the woods, for it was decreed by fate that Hercules should one day hunt her. For a whole year Hercules pursued her, came at last to the river Ladon, and there captured the hind, not far from the city Oenon, on the mountains of Diana. But he knew of no way of becoming master of the animal without wounding her. So he lamed her with an arrow, and then carried her over his shoulder through Arcadia. Here he met Diana herself with Apollo, who scolded him for wishing to kill the animal that she had held sacred, and was about to take it from him. Impiety did not move me, great goddess, said Hercules in his own defence, but only the direct necessity. How otherwise could I hold my own against Eurystheus? And thus he softened the anger of the goddess, and brought the animal to my scene. The Fourth Labor Then Hercules set out on his fourth undertaking. It consisted in bringing alive to Mycene a boar which, likewise sacred to Diana, was laying waste the country around the mountain of Erymanthus. On his wanderings in search of this adventure, he came to the dwelling of Pholus, the son of Silenus. Like all centaurs, Pholus was half man and half horse he received his guest with hospitality and set before him broiled meat while he himself ate raw but hercules not satisfied with this wished also to have something good to drink dear guest said pholus there is a cask in my cellar but it belongs to all the centaurs jointly and i hesitate to open it because i know how little they welcome guests open it with good courage answered hercules i promise to defend you against all displeasure As it happened, the cask of wine had been given to the centaurs by Bacchus, the god of wine, with the command that they should not open it until, after four centuries, Hercules should appear in their midst. Pholus went to the cellar and opened the wonderful cask, but scarcely had he done so when the centaurs caught the perfume of the rare old wine, and, armed with stones and pine-clubs, surrounded the cave of Pholus. The first who tried to force their way in, Hercules drove back with brands he seized from the fire. The rest he pursued with bow and arrow, driving them back to Malia, where lived the good centaur, Chiron, Hercules' old friend. To him his brother centaurs had fled for protection. But Hercules still continued shooting, and sent an arrow through the arm of an old centaur, which unhappily went quite through and fell on Chiron's knee, piercing the flesh. Then, for the first time, Hercules recognized his friend at former Days, ran to him in great distress, pulled out the arrow, and laid healing ointment on the wound, as the wise Chiron himself had taught him. But the wound, filled with the poison of the Hydra, could not be healed. So the centaur was carried into his cave. There he wished to die in the arms of his friend. Vain wish! The poor centaur had forgotten that he was immortal, and, although wounded, could not die. Then Hercules, with many tears, bade farewell to his old teacher, and promised to send to him, no matter at what price, the great Deliverer, Death, and we know that he kept his word. When Hercules, from the pursuit of the other centaurs, returned to the dwelling of Pholus, he found him also dead. He had drawn the deadly arrow from the lifeless body of one centaur, and while he was wondering how so small a thing could do such great damage, the poison arrow slipped through his fingers and pierced his foot, killing him instantly. Hercules was very sad and buried his body reverently beneath the mountain, which from that day was called phloe Then Hercules continued his hunt for the bear, drove him with cries out of the thick of the woods, pursued him into a deep snowfield around the exhausted animal, and brought him, as he had been commanded, alive to my scene. The Fifth Labour Thereupon, King Eurystheus sent him upon the fifth labour, which was one little worthy of a hero. It was to clean the stables of Augeas in a single day. Augeas was king in Elis, and had great herds of cattle. These herds were kept, according to the custom, in great enclosures before the palace. Three thousand cattle were housed there, and as the stables had not been cleaned in so many years... So much manure had accumulated, that it seemed an insult to ask Hercules to clean them in one day. When the hero stepped before King Argeus, and, without telling him anything of the demands of Eurystheus, pledged himself to the task, the latter measured the noble form in the lion skin, and could hardly refrain from laughing when he thought of so worthy a warrior undertaking so menial a work. But he said to himself, Necessity has driven many a brave man. Perhaps this one wishes to enrich himself through me. That will help him little. I can promise him a large reward if he cleans out the stables, for he can, in one day, clear little enough." Then he spoke confidently. Listen, O stranger! If you clean all of my stables in one day, I will give over to you the tenth part of all my possessions in cattle. Hercules accepted the offer, and the king expected to see him begin to shovel but hercules after he had called the son of argeus to witness the agreement tore the foundations away from one side of the stables directed to it by means of a canal the streams of alpheus and peneus that flowed near by and let the waters carry away the filth through another opening so he accomplished the menial work without stooping to anything unworthy of an immortal when Augeus learned that this work had been done in the service of Eurystheus, he refused the reward, and said that he had not promised it, but he declared himself ready to have the question settled in court. When the judges were assembled, Phileas, commanded by Hercules to appear, testified against his father, and explained how he had agreed to offer Hercules a reward. Ogeus did not wait for the decision; he grew angry and commanded his son as well as the stranger to leave his kingdom instantly. The sixth labor Hercules now returned with new adventures to Eurystheus, but the latter would not give him credit for the task because Hercules had demanded a reward for his labour he sent the hero forth upon a sixth adventure commanding him to drive away the Stymphalides. these were monster birds of prey as large as cranes with iron feathers beaks and claws they lived on the banks of lake Stymphalus in arcadia and had the power of using their feathers as arrows and piercing with their beaks even bronze coats of mail thus they brought destruction to both animals and men in all the surrounding country After a short journey, Hercules, accustomed to wandering, arrived at the lake, which was thickly shaded by a wood. Into this wood a great flock of the birds had flown, for fear of being robbed by wolves. The hero stood undecided when he saw the frightful crowd, not knowing how he could become master over so many enemies. Then he felt a light touch on his shoulder, and glancing behind him saw the tall figure of the goddess Minerva, who gave into his hands two mighty brass rattles made by Vulcan telling him to use these to drive away the Stimphalides. She disappeared. Hercules mounted a hill near the lake, and began frightening the birds by the noise of the rattles. The Stimphalides could not endure the awful noise, and flew, terrified, out of the forest. Then Hercules seized his bow and sent arrow after arrow into pursuit of them, shooting many as they flew. Those who were not killed left the lake, and never returned. The Seventh Labour King Minos of Crete had promised Neptune, Poseidon, god of the sea, to offer to him whatever animal should first come up out of the water, for he declared that he had no animal that was worthy for so high a sacrifice. Therefore, the god caused a very beautiful ox to rise out of the sea, but the king was so taken with the noble appearance of the animal, that he secretly placed it among his own herds, and offered another one to Neptune angered by this the god had caused the animal to become mad and it was bringing great destruction to the island of crete to capture this animal master it and bring it before eurystheus was the seventh labour of hercules when the hero came to crete and with this intention stepped before minos the king was not a little pleased over the prospect of ridding the island of the bull and he himself helped hercules to capture the raged animal hercules approached the dreadful monster without fear and so thoroughly did he master him that he rode home on the animal the whole way to the sea with this work eurystheus was pleased and after he had regarded the animal for a time with pleasure set it free no longer under hercules management the ox became wild again wandered through all laconia and arcadia crossed over the isthmus to marathon in antica had devastated the country there as formerly he had done on the island of Crete. Later it was given to the hero Theseus to become master over him. The Eighth Labour The Eighth Labour of Hercules was to bring the mares of the Thracian Diomede to Mycene. Diomede was a son of Mars and ruler of the Bistonians, a very warlike people. He had mares so wild and strong that they had to be fastened with iron chains. Their fodder was chiefly hay, but strangers who had the misfortune to come into the city were thrown before them, their flesh serving the animals as food. When Hercules arrived, the first thing he did was to seize the inhuman king himself, and after he had overpowered the keepers, threw him before his own mares. With this food, the animals were satisfied, and Hercules was able to drive them to the sea but the Bistonians followed him with weapons and hercules was forced to turn and fight them he gave the horses into the keeping of his beloved companion abdurus the son of mercury and while hercules was away the animals grew hungry again and devoured their keepers hercules returning was greatly grieved over this loss and later founded a city in honour of abdurus naming it after his lost friend For the present he was content to master the mares and drive them without further mishap to Eurystheus. The latter consecrated the horses to Juno. Their descendants were very powerful, and the great king Alexander of Macedonia rode one of them. The Ninth Labour Returning from a long journey, the hero undertook an expedition against the Amazons in order to finish the ninth adventure and bring to King Eurystheus the sword belt of the Amazon Hippolyta. The Amazons inhabited the region of the River Thermodon, and were a race of strong women who followed the occupations of men. From their children they selected only such as were girls. United in an army, they waged great wars. Their queen, Hippolyta, wore, as a sign of her leadership, a girdle which the goddess of war had given to her as a present. Hercules gathered his warrior companions together into a ship, sailed after many adventures into the Black Sea, and at last into the mouth of the river Thermodon and the harbour of the Amazon city, Themyscria. Here the queen of the Amazons met him. The lordly appearance of the hero flattered her pride, and when she heard the object of his visit, she promised him the belt, but Juno, the relentless enemy of Hercules, assuming the form of an Amazon, mingled among the others, and spread the news that a stranger was about to lead away their queen then the amazons fought with the warrior of hercules and the best fighters of them attacked the hero and gave him a hard battle the first who began fighting with him was called because of her swiftness or bride of the wind but she found in hercules a swifter opponent was forced to yield and was in her swift flight overtaken by him and vanquished A second fell at the first attack, then Prothiae, the third, who had come off victor in seven duels, also fell. Hercules laid low eight others, among them three hunter companions of Diana who, although formerly always certain with their weapons, today failed in their arm, and, vainly covering themselves with their shield, fell before the arrows of the hero. Even Alcapi fell, who had sworn to live her whole life unmarried, the vow she kept but not her life. After even Melanepe, the brave leader of the Amazons, was made captive, all the rest took to wild flight, and Hippolyta the queen handed over the sword belt, which she had promised even before the fight. Hercules took it as ransom, and set Melanipe free. The Tenth Labour When the hero laid the sword belt of Queen Hippolyta at the feet of Eurystheus, the latter gave him no rest, but sent him out immediately to procure the cattle of the giant Geron. The latter dwelt on an island in the middle of the sea, and processed a herd of beautiful red-brown cattle, which were guarded by another giant and a two-headed dog. Geron himself was enormous, had three bodies, three heads, six arms, and six feet. No son of earth had ever measured his strength against him, and Hercules realised exactly how many preparations were necessary for this heavy undertaking. As everyone knows, Gerion's father, who bore the name Goldsword, because of his riches, was king of all Iberia, Spain. Besides Gerion, he had three brave giant sons who fought for him, and each son had a mighty army of soldiers under his command. For these very reasons had Eurystheus given the task to Hercules, for he hoped that his hated existence would at last be ended in a war in such a country. Yet Hercules set out on this undertaking, no more dismayed than on any other previous expedition. He gathered together his army on the island of Crete, which he had freed from wild animals, and landed first in Libya. Here he met the giant Antaeus, whose strength was renewed as often as he touched the earth. He also freed Libya of birds of prey, for he hated wild animals and wicked men, because he saw in all of them the image of the overbearing and unjust lord, whom he had so long served. After long wandering through desert country, he came at last to a fruitful land, through which great streams flowed. Here he founded a city of vast size, which he renamed Hecatomphilos, City of a Hundred gaze. Then at last he reached the Atlantic Ocean, and planted the two mighty pillars which bear his name. The sun burned so fiercely that Hercules could bear it no longer. He raised his eyes to heaven, and with raised bow threatened the sun-god. Apollo wondered at his courage, and lent him for his further journeys the bark in which he himself was accustomed to lie from sunset to sunrise. In this, Hercules sailed to Iberia. Here he found the three sons of Goldsword, with three great armies camping near each other. But he killed all the leaders, and plundered the land. Then he sailed to the island Erythia, where Geron dwelt with his herds as soon as the two-headed dog knew of his approach he sprang toward him but hercules struck him with his club and killed him he killed also the giant herdsman who came to the help of the dog then he hurried away with the cattle but gerone overtook him and there was a fierce struggle Juno herself offered to assist the giant but hercules shot her with an arrow deep in the heart and the goddess wounded fled Even the three-fell body of the giant, which ran together in the region of the stomach, felt the might of the deadly arrows and was forced to yield. With glorious adventures, Hercules continued his way home, driving the cattle across country through Iberia and Italy. At Regium, in lower Italy, one of his oxen got away and swam across the strait of Sicily. Immediately Hercules drove the other cattle into the water and swam, holding one by the horns, to Sicily then the hero pursued his way without misfortune through italy illyria and thrace to greece hercules had now accomplished ten labours but eurystheus was still unsatisfied and there were two more tasks to be undertaken the eleventh labour at the celebration of the marriage of Jupiter and Juno, when all the gods were bringing their wedding gifts to the happy pair, Mother Earth did not wish to be left out, so she caused to spring forth on the western borders of the Great World Sea, and many-branched tree full of golden apples. Four maidens called the Hesperides, Daughters of Night, were the guardians of this sacred garden, and with them watched the hundred-headed dragon Ladon, whose father was phorkys the parent of many monsters. Sleep came never to the eyes of this dragon, and a fearful hissing sound warned one of his presence, for each of his hundred throats had a different voice. From this monster, so was the command of Eurystheus, should Hercules seize the golden apples. The hero sat on his long and adventurous journey, and placed himself in the hands of blind chance, for he did not know where the Hesperides dwelt. He went first to Thessaly, where dwelt the giant Termurus, who with his skull knocked to death every traveller that he met. But on the mighty cranium of Hercules, the head of the giant himself was split open. Further on, the hero came upon another monster in his way, Cycnus, the son of Mars and Prirene. He, when asked concerning the garden of the Hesperides, instead of answering, challenged the wanderer to a duel, and was beaten by Hercules. Then appeared Mars, the god of war himself to avenge the death of his son, and Hercules was forced to fight with him. But Jupiter did not wish that his son should shed blood, and sent him lightning bolts to separate the two. Then Hercules continued his way through Illyria, hastened over the river Eridanus, and came to the nymphs of Jupiter and Themis, who dwelt on the banks of the stream. To these Hercules put his question: "Go to the old river god Nereus." was their answer. "'He is a seer and knows all things. Surprise him while he sleeps and bind him. Then he will be forced to tell you the right way.' Hercules followed this advice and became master of the river god, although the latter, according to his custom, assumed many different forms. Hercules would not let him go until he had learned in what locality he could find the golden apple of the Hesperides. Informed of this, he went on his way towards Libya and Egypt, over the latter land ruled Bucerus, the son of Neptune, and Elysiana. To him, during the period of the famine, a prophet had borne the oracle message that the land would again bear fruit if a stranger were sacrificed once a year to Jupiter. In gratitude, busiris made a beginning with the priest himself. Later he found great pleasure in the custom and killed all strangers who came to Egypt. So Hercules was seized and placed on the altar of Jupiter, but he broke the chains which bound him, and killed Bucerus, and his son, and the priestly herald. With many adventures the hero continued his way, set free, as has been told elsewhere, Prometheus the titan, who was bound to the Caucasus Mountains, and came at last to the place where Atlas stood carrying the weight of the heavens on his shoulders. Near him grew the tree which bore the golden apples of the Hesperides. Prometheus had advised the hero not to attempt himself to make the robbery of the golden fruit, but to send Atlas on the errand. The giant offered to do this, if Hercules would support the heavens while he went. This Hercules consented to do, and Atlas set out. He put to sleep the dragon who lived beneath the tree and killed him. Then with a trick he got the better of the keepers, and returned happily to Hercules with the three apples which he had plucked. ''But,'' he said, ''I have now found out how it feels to be relieved of the heavy burden of the heavens. ''I will not carry them any longer.'' Then he threw the apples down at the feet of the hero, and left him standing with the unaccustomed awful weight upon his shoulders. Hercules had to think of a trick in order to get away. ''Let me,'' he said to the giant, ''just make a coil of rope to bound around my head, so that the frightful weight will not cause my forehead to give way.'' Atlas found this new demand reasonable, and consented to take over the burden again for a few minutes. But the deceiver was at last deceived, and Hercules picked up the apples from the ground, and set out on his way back. He carried the apples to Eurystheus, who, since his object of getting rid of the hero had not been accomplished, gave them back to Hercules as a present. The latter laid them on the altar of Minerva, but the goddess, knowing that it was contrary to the divine wishes to carry away the sacred fruit, return the apples to the garden of the Hesperides. The Twelfth Labour Instead of destroying his hated enemy, the labours which Eurystheus had imposed upon Hercules had only strengthened the hero in the fame for which fate had selected him. He had become the protector of all the wronged upon earth, and the boldest adventurer among mortals. But the last labour he was to undertake in the region in which his hero strength, so the impious king thought, would not accompany him, This was a fight with the dark powers of the underworld. He was to bring forth from Hades Cerberus, the dog of hell. This animal had three heads with frightful jaws, from which incessantly poison flowed. A dragon's tail hung from his body, and the hair of his head and of his back formed hissing, coiling serpents. To prepare himself for this fearful journey, Hercules went to the city of Eleusis in attic territory where from a wise priest he received secret instruction in the things of the upper and lower world and where also he received pardon for the murder of the centaur then with strength to meet the horrors of the underworld hercules travelled on to peloponus and to the laconian city of tenoris which contained the opening to the lower world here accompanied by mercury he descended through a cleft in the earth and came to the entrance to the city of king pluto the shades which sadly wandered back and forth before the gates of the city took flight as soon as they caught sight of flesh and blood in the form of a living man only the gorgon medusa and the spirit of melagia remained the former hercules wished to overthrow with his sword But Mercury touched him on the arm and told him that the souls of the departed were only empty shadows, and could not be wounded by mortal weapons. With the soul of Melagia, the hero chattered in friendly fashion, and received from him loving messages for the upper world. Still, nearer to the gates of Hades, Hercules caught sight of his friends Theseus and Perithus, When both saw the friendly form of Hercules, they stretched beseeching hands towards him, trembling with the hope that through his strength they might again reach the upper world. Hercules grasped Theseus by the hand, freed him from his chains, and raised him from the ground. A second attempt to free Perithius did not succeed, for the ground opened beneath his feet. At the gate of the city of the dead stood King Pluto, and denied entrance to Hercules, but with an arrow the hero shot the god in the shoulder so that he feared the mortal and when Hercules then asked whether he might lead away the dog of Hades he did not longer oppose him but he imposed the condition that Hercules should become master of Cerberus without using any weapon so the hero set out protected only with cuirass and the lion's skin he found the dog camping near the dwelling of Acheron, and without paying any attention to the bellowing of the three heads, which was like the echo of fearful, resounding thunder, he seized the dog by the legs, put his arms around his neck, and would not let him go, although the dragon-tailed the animal bit him in the cheek. He held the neck of Cerberus firm, and did not let go until he was really master of the monster. Then he raised it, and through another opening of Hades returned in happiness to his own country. When the dog of Hades saw the light of day, he was afraid and began to spit poison, from which poisonous plants sprung up out of the earth. Hercules brought the monster in chains to Tyrinth and led it before the astonished Eurystheus, who could not believe his eyes. Now at last the king doubted whether he could ever rid himself of the hated son of Jupiter. He yielded to his fate, and dismissed the hero, who led the dog of Hades back to his owner in the lower world. Thus, Hercules, after all his labours, was at last set free from the service of Eurystheus, and returned to Thebes. End of chapter 2